0: You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and
1: Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. As humans, we can identify galaxies light years away. We can study particles smaller than an atom, but we still haven't unlocked the mystery of the three pounds of matter that sits between our ears. Thank you for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. The clip you just heard was President Barack Obama in 2013, talking about his commitment to helping scientists learn more about the amazing, mysterious part of the human body called the brain. To continue our series on the brain here on Hold That Thought, in today's podcast, we're going to be hearing from one such scientist. Deanna Barch.
0: So, my name is Deanna Barch, and I am a professor of psychology and psychiatry, and I'm the chair of the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences. More than five
1: years ago now, Barch became involved with the Human Connectome Project, a vast effort to map the wiring of the human brain. The project was created to look closely at the connections between how brains work and how we think, feel, and behave.
0: The interest is really in the idea that the brain and the mind are not separate and that psychological phenomena arise out of the brain. So five years later,
1: what has the Human Connectome Project revealed about the mind and the brain so far? How do you even go about collecting data for a project like this? And where does the research go from here? Let's find out.
0: So the Human Connectome Project is an initiative that um, now started about five and a half years ago to try to really develop a basic normative understanding of human brain connectivity, both structural and functional, um, with the idea that human brain connectivity plays a very important role in individual differences in cognitive function, emotion processing, mental health, neurological disorders, and that we didn't really have a good basic understanding of what's what's the kind of normal variation in human brain connectivity. By connectivity,
1: Barch is talking about how different parts of the brain work together. Instead of looking at an individual region of the brain and trying to figure out what it does and how it works, The Human Connectome Project is more interested in how these parts are connected.
0: Historically, we focused a lot on, well, what does this particular region do? And what does this particular region do? And that's certainly important for understanding behavior. But I think, you know, our big focus has been on, but how important is it in terms of how well these things work together and is working together also critical for understanding variation in behavior? In this context, there are two main types of brain connectivity.
1: The first is called
0: structural connectivity. Structural connectivity really refers to the white matter connections between different parts of the brain. This white matter is made up of myelin, a white substance
1: that covers nerve cell branches. These myelin connections help neurons
0: communicate with each other. And there can be both kind of short-range connections, so very local connections, neurons within the same brain region. And then there can be these longer pathways that go farther, you know, either to the left or the right hemisphere or to the front and the back of the brain. So that's structural connectivity. The second type is called functional
1: brain connectivity. This refers to fluctuations in brain activity that seem to be coordinated across different parts of the brain. Sometimes these fluctuations happen when you're doing a specific kind of activity or task, but they also happen
0: spontaneously, when you're just resting quietly, not doing much or thinking about much. When we look at that coordinated activity, we see sometimes that the brain regions that seem to be kind of going together in terms of activity form networks, um, networks that we think are important for supporting different kinds of cognitive or emotion or memory functions.
1: Researchers with the Human Connectome Project wanted to get lots of data about both structural and functional connectivity. As you might expect, this type of effort takes a lot of, well, brain power. Barch and her colleagues at Washington University worked with a team of over 38 investigators from 10 institutions around the world. They spent the first part of the project
0: developing new tools for state-of-the-art ways of looking at the brain. And then we spent the next kind of three years on the project actually collecting a very large data set from 1,200 individuals um, where they all went through the same protocol measuring brain structure, brain function, brain connectivity, a whole range of behaviors that are relevant for mental health and education and neurological function. We collected all of that data here at Washington University on a special scanner that we modified for this project
1: the 1,200 participants each did four different scanning
0: sessions. Each round was a little bit different. So like in two of the scanning sessions, we were taking pictures of, of brain structure, either structural connectivity or just like the volume and shape and size of the brain. And there, we let them watch movies. You know, they would pick out something they'd be interested in because you're just sitting there, and it's kind of boring if you aren't doing anything. For the other two scan sessions, when, uh, when we were looking at functional connectivity in the brain, We asked people just to rest quietly and to look at a little cross on the screen and to not try to think about anything in particular, but not fall asleep, ideally. Evidently, not falling asleep was sometimes harder than it sounds.
1: In some of the other scans, however, this wasn't so much of a problem. In those,
0: participants were asked to work their brains a little bit. So we had them doing memory tasks. We had them doing tasks where they were guessing things. We had them listening to language. We had them tapping their fingers and their toes. We had them looking at videos and um, making some judgments about social interactions of objects. We had them looking at faces with different expressions. So we really had them doing a variety of things, sometimes just relaxing and watching movies, sometimes resting quietly, and sometimes doing these you know, specific tasks that we were asking them to do.
1: So remember, all of this started more than five years ago. It's 2016 now, and at least for those original 1,200 participants, data collection is complete. It's a huge amount of information, both brain imaging scans and behavioral data, and it's all
0: open to the public. And so that's really a very unprecedented database for understanding in the healthy human, what are the typical patterns that we see in terms of brain connectivity? How do kind of individual variations there relate to different aspects of behavior? And the idea is that that's sort of forming a basis for additional groups then to start to understand, well, how might things be going awry in people who have different forms of mental illness or different, you know, aging or Alzheimer's disease, as a way to try to understand how changes in that connectivity might be contributing to some of these difficulties.
1: Difficulties like mental illness, things like depression and schizophrenia. This is something that Barch focuses a lot on in her own lab and research. Recently, her group has found that abnormalities in certain brain networks may help explain some of the challenges faced by people with schizophrenia.
0: When we think of schizophrenia, we think of things like people hearing voices and having delusions. Those are really critical symptoms of the illness, but we also know that one of the things that really characterizes the illness is challenges in a variety of cognitive domains, and that those challenges often make it difficult for people to work and live independently and go to school. So, knowing that these alterations in brain connectivity contribute to these problems with memory and thinking and cognitive control helps us begin to understand what might be some of the neural mechanisms causing these kind of difficulties in life in in people with schizophrenia.
1: Over time, this type of information may help scientists and medical professionals work toward treatment and prevention of these types of illnesses.
0: Part of it is we do understand the mechanisms because we think mechanisms will give us clues about Potentially effective treatments genetic influences those sorts of things. We've also been very interested in understanding whether Alterations in connectivity might be good what we refer to as biomarkers for risk for the development of these things Um, We focused on that a little bit more in our depression work than our schizophrenia work And with the idea that you know early intervention is often a very good thing And so if you can determine what kids or adolescents are at risk for development of more severe forms of mental illness, you might be able to provide earlier interventions that could be helpful. So in some of the work we're doing with like fairly young kids who have early onset depression, we're looking at both brain connectivity and brain activation as potential kind of markers of risk as a way to potentially identify which kids are either most in need of intervention, or which kids might most benefit from certain kinds of therapy um, as a means to try to help those kids kind of get shifted back onto a healthier developmental trajectory than they might otherwise have.
1: So clearly brain connectivity is hugely important for understanding mental illness. But data from the Human Connectome Project is also revealing how important connectivity is to each and every human brain, even for those people who don't necessarily ever experience mental illness. In one recent study, certain patterns in normal
0: brain connectivity were linked to a wide range of behaviors. It was uh, led by one of our colleagues at Oxford, Steve Smith, and what he did was basically to say, well, let me, let me try to understand the patterns of brain connectivity. Let me look at um, all these behavioral metrics, and let's try to understand if there's some sort of common, I'll say common themes that run across the brain connectivity and the behavior, and do they relate to each other? And indeed, that's what he found. It tended to be the case that things like Doing well on different memory tasks and cognitive tasks and functioning well in everyday life and you know not using a lot of substances, those attributes tended to be related to each other, and they also tended to be related to this particular pattern of brain connectivity. For Barch,
1: these kinds of discoveries about the links between brain function and behavior are incredibly valuable. Because at the end of the day, humans are more than a bunch of walking brain scans. It's our thoughts and our actions that make us who we are.
0: We really need to understand how variation in the brain relates to variation in behavior because behavior is what allows us to operate in the world, right? I mean, it, it's what leads to relationships and jobs and work and academic performance. So from my perspective, we, you know, a critical piece of kind of what makes us who we are as psychologists is, is that emphasis on understanding how it all contributes to behavior um, and that being sort of our final endpoint.
1: Many thanks to Deanna Barch for joining Hold That Thought. For many more ideas to explore, including more on our series on the brain, please visit us at holdthatthought.wustl.edu on Facebook and Twitter, or subscribe to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or prx.org. Thanks so much for listening.